Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I am your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett. I'm so happy to have you here today. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Jane Brunell with us from Miami University of Ohio. How are you today? I'm great. I'm excited to have you. Before we jump into your article, which I thought was excellent, and I agree with everything that you said, so we'll get into that in a second. But if you can tell us a little bit about Miami U so that our our listeners can get a glimpse of what's going on there. Sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. So I am Vice President for Student Life at Miami University. We are a public institution, which always surprises people because we act like we're a a small private and we're actually a large public located about an hour north of Cincinnati, an hour south of Dayton in rural Ohio. We have on our Oxford campus about 17,000 undergraduate students and 2,500 graduate students. We draw from all 50 states and about an equal number of countries around the, around the world. We, in our entering class, are about 16, 17% students of color. If you add that with international, we are nearly a quarter students of color. And we also have two regional campuses located about a half hour away from us that are open admission campuses that offer two-year and four-year degrees. And there are about another four to 5,000 students on those regionals. So again, your total population would be? 20,000 in Oxford and another four to 5,000 in our regional campuses. And then you are the Vice President of Student Affairs, correct? Student Life. We changed our name about a year ago. Oh, Student Life. Oh, okay. That's, that's good. And what, what would be your responsibility areas? So we oversee 15 departments here in Student Life. So everything from residence life, health, wellness, and counseling, student activities, Greek life, diversity affairs, Armstrong Student Center, leadership, service, tutoring, disability services, parent programs. It's a, it's a pretty wide portfolio. Okay, great. And how long have you been at Miami U? I've been here just over five and a half years. And one last uh, background question. Give us, can you give us a, just a little bit of your history as far as how long you've been with NASPA and how long you've been in student affairs slash student life? Yeah, I realize so I'm prepping to teach a foundations and student affairs class to our master's students here at Miami this fall and realize that the book I'm using, it's a sixth edition. I used the second edition 25 years ago this fall. So it's been really interesting rereading all of that. So I've been in the field 25 years. I worked in advertising for five years before that. And I was mainly based on the East Coast before. So I spent 20 years New York Metro before moving to rural Ohio five years ago. And I've worked in everything from ResLife, student activities, spent a lot of time in academic advising. 
Uh, so very much a generalist background before I became VP here at Miami. Wonderful. Wow. So what made you go into higher ed? Just a quick, quick question. Sure. I was still of that generation that people didn't tell you that this was a career, that you had to find it on your own. I think we've gotten much better at that. But I was an active undergraduate at Douglas College at Rutgers, so the Women's College of Rutgers University, and didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a women's studies, communication, and English triple major, (laughs) and moved after college, explored careers related to, I thought I would go be a lobbyist in DC. Then I thought I should explore that communication side, worked in advertising and realized that the advertising world, it was interesting and I couldn't have cared any less about it. And that I needed to find something that I believed in. So went back to a mentor from my undergraduate years and told her, what I was trying to find in my life. And she said, well, what about what I do? And I looked at her and the light bulb just went off. And I actually uh, went late to the football game for homecoming, went over to the admissions office, tried to learn more about this field, went back to Baltimore and said, I think I'm going to quit my job, move to New York and go to grad school for student affairs. And it, it just, it absolutely was the right fit from day one. Well, you're absolutely right. I believe before in the past, it wasn't really something that people, quote, majored in. And now we have master's programs and doctoral programs that focus on educational leadership and post-secondary education. And then now it's even called student affairs in, in some places. Right. And I, I went to the program at Teachers College at Columbia partially because it was, you know, I fell in love with the curriculum, but it was also a nine-month master's program. I thought, I'll get in, I'll get out. I ended up staying eight years until I had my doctorate and stayed 20 years in New York. Okay, wait a minute. Did you say a nine-month master's program? Yes, it was a two-semester intensive get-in, get-out master's program. It was the best thing, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life because it was you know, 24-7 for two semesters, all in. But at the end of nine months, I kept saying, but I love this and I want to know more. Can I stay? And stayed until I finished with my doctorate. Well, you definitely went all in. That's for sure. Because <laughs> all I could think of is you having class every single day, all day long for nine months. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm excited to... Um, to have read your article on the return on investment matters. It was very, first of all, I I totally believe in what you say Uh, as a person who hires student um, workers, I like to give them a title. I don't want them to just be called student workers. So I call them ambassadors or I call them anything but a student worker. Or if they are specialized in a specific piece of the office, then they're the historically black college and university coordinator or the black graduation coordinator. I used to work in a black cultural center for years at the University of Southern California. So I always thought, well, if you give them these specific names and they have specific responsibilities, that would then transfer to their resume. And so therefore, when, uh, like you mentioned in the article, when an employer sees this, then they're able to see, oh, it's not just a work-study job, but this student had more responsibilities. Right, yeah, that's, that's a great point, that I think too many times we are, it, it, first, we look at students 
and don't tell them how valuable they are to our work, to our roles, but also they're looking at it as a way to get a paycheck on campus that helps them be able to afford what their, their education, but often don't realize that it is not just a job that is filling their time and giving them a paycheck, but where they're gaining skills, that it's part of the larger educational picture for them. And I think that it is our responsibility to help them reflect on and coach them on the skills that they're gaining so that they could talk about these in meaningful ways after they graduate. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about your article for those who haven't read it yet to kind of give us a summary of this whole return on investment. Because one of the things I definitely understand and hear a lot is that, you know, parents want to know you're getting out of the house, A, B, you're getting into college, and then you're getting a job and you're not coming back. However, they <laughs> they tend to return. But but what what is that that focus on returning on their investment? Yeah, well, I, I felt really fortunate I got a call that the Leadership Exchange was going to include an article about the six R's of 21st century higher education. So revenue, retention, research, risk mitigation, recruitment, and return on investment. And the person who called me said, do any of those resonate with you? Is, is there one that you'd like to write about? And I was so excited that return on investment was still a topic that was available to take because it's one that I've talked about quite a bit over the years that I think we are much too narrow in thinking about return on investment. I will say when I entered this field 25 years ago, ROI, what was that? Nobody heard that term. That was completely a business term that it has started to become a more common thing in our language. And I took my niece through the Miami tour here when she was looking at colleges. And it's actually part of our admissions talk now is what is the ROI when you're coming in? That parents want to know, is this investment going to pay off for my son or daughter? Where in reality, we are using much, much too narrow of a definition of return on investment that... You know, a lot of times what you see published is, does a student have a job six months after graduation? Well, if our only goal of four years of a university or college education or a two-year education degree is what they're doing six months after college, that's actually not a great investment at all, that we need to be thinking about how we're preparing them for their entire lives. So... Yes, some of that return on investment is going to be through employment, that we want them to get a job, but more importantly, we want them to have a career. We want them to be doing something that they care about, that they're good at. We want them to be able to adapt so that as that industry changes, they can pivot or they can reinvent themselves and move from advertising to student affairs. We want them to be good members of their community, to remember that this is also about the public good and instill values in them that they're gonna give back and invest in their communities, that they're gonna be good partners or parents if they choose to do that. That um, we want them to know that they're, you know, that we're instilling in them the idea that they're gonna learn throughout their lives. Every single one of those things is things that we will be giving to those students when they come to campus that 
they and their family should have confidence that the investment they're making financially will be brought back to them many fold throughout their entire lifetime. So we're doing ourselves and our students and their families a disservice when we only talk about ROI as having a economic employment short-term base. I like how you mentioned pivot with change because of course I'm into sports and I thought about when you said that, I'm like, yes, you have to be able to kind of move with the times and what's going on. And I think for me, I definitely believe, as you do, that student affairs is really a well-rounded opportunity for students to learn about, you know, when you work for one office, you have to, I know when I train my students, I give them, we, we train all together, I run four cultural centers. So I have all the student workers from all the four cultural centers go through the training together and bringing in the different departments so that they they know about the the university and can serve as an ambassador. And you kind of uplift them in that sense that, you know, you are the front line. And so you need to know these things, you know, about the entire university. I don't expect them to memorize it, but the more that students come in, the more they will know. And I think that empowerment tool is very, very important. It is. And it's amazing how much students don't realize how applicable the skills are that they're learning by engaging with student life. So uh, student employees are one subset. And then you also think about all of the other ways that they interact with us. So being a member of a student organization, being an RA, going through a leadership development workshop, All of those are opportunities where we are the living learning lab, that they're taking concepts out of their classes and applying theory to practice and testing it and taking it back. So I loved, I had a conversation with a student who was graduating in May, who has been in RA for us for three years and was going to medical school. And she saw me and said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to see you to tell you about my med school interviews. I talked about being an RA more than I talked about anything I've done in any class. That do you know that I learned how to communicate and talk to different people and be exposed to diverse ideas and conflict management and managing a budget? And I said, actually, yes, I did know you did those things. But the fact that we didn't point those out to you so that you were prepared meant that we haven't taken your opportunity as far as we could for you. You're absolutely right. And actually, um, I always like to say, but one of the best or two of the best uh, positions that a student could have on campus is to be an RA or an admissions tour guide and or advisor or whatever the student uh, equivalent to being in admissions. And that's because those two particular positions open them up to the full university. For example, admissions, you have to know about all the schools and be able to talk about just a little bit about each school or, or you know, be able to talk about the population, be able to talk about the institution in such a way, and then be able to um, share with parents, you know, what you enjoy about the institution and what your major does for you. An RA, on the other hand, has that same situation. However, like you said, they're learning <laughs> conflict resolution. They're learning budget, right? Because, they, you know, you tell them you got, you know, you have $200 to do a program and you need to do A, B, C, D, and E. So now plan it out. Let's make it happen. So they're dealing with conflict. They're dealing with suicide. They're dealing with uh, active listening, active learning. 
I mean, so it's 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 so verse that usually a lot of our student affairs folks have come up the ranks of res life because of all that student conduct. I mean, it's so much there, not saying that orientation wouldn't, you know, health, all of the, you know, typical student affairs departments, but we as student affairs educators need to introduce the positions as such, not just a work study. Everybody, you know, I tell my students, everybody's going to, you know, make copies. Everybody's going to, you know, run errands, but then you have a specific job too, where you need to plan, for example, this graduation, you know, you're going to be running the committee for the black graduation. So therefore you have to think about entertainment, blah, 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 blah. And so it, it, it empowers them. And I noticed that my student workers over the years have gotten some really great jobs because of, you know, working in student affairs. Yeah, and I think that we need to go farther as educators. So to say that, you know, part of RA training is not just going to be a session about how to plan a program, but we're also going to include sessions where we're bringing in career counselors and we're having them practice interview skills where they can talk about the skills that they've gained, that we can help them build a resume, that when we do a leadership retreat, we're going to talk to them about the things that they're doing as leaders in a student organization as a pretty independent group can translate into the bullet points on their resume, that we need to be helping them connect the dots and do the reflection that they're not realizing this while they're in an interview, but we have helped to prep them for that. Uh, you did mention the career center piece. The other piece as well is, is like you said, is being able to point to them their transferable skills. Talk a little bit about that from your article. Yeah, I mentioned it a little bit the way that the student talked about medical school, but everything that they are, that students are doing outside of the classroom, even if they are not an RA, but living in a residence hall. These are uh, students that for the most part have probably never shared a room growing up, that they are learning to live in a community. They're learning how to be good citizens. They're learning how to self-advocate. That we should be pointing out all of those transferable skills. Because if you look at the AACNU LEAP guidelines, so the Association of American Colleges and Universities, hopefully a lot of people are familiar with their work. And you look at what are the skills that employers want, or you look at the NACE survey of what skills do employers want. Almost everything on that list are the things that students gain outside of the classroom they also get some of it inside the classroom, but they're applying it outside of the classroom. And we need to make sure that students are aware of that and are reflecting on that. I think one of the things that students don't realize, because we put so much of a focus on the student leaders, sometimes on different campuses, you know, who's the student body president and that cabinet, and those students are successful. And I think students get a little nervous when they're not in those fields or they don't uh, run for an office because they don't think they are capable of doing anything in student government, but yet they were in their student government in high school. What's your take on that? So I am a student of leadership. I did my dissertation on leadership and I am a firm believer that everybody has the capacity to lead from where they are in their lives. So you do not have to be a positional leader to be able to 
develop and exercise leadership skills. So I think that that's also an opportunity if you are an advisor for a student organization, let's say that you're an advisor for a fraternity or sorority, the ways that you could talk to general members about how they lead from within, about the power that they have to be able to set culture and tone and stand up to opinions that may not be popular and be courageous in your leadership that when you have those conversations, that plays out and in how they're going to advance in their careers, advance in their lives. But again, we have to connect those dots for them. They're not just gonna make the connection of, oh my gosh, because I am a sorority member, I have an opportunity to build skills that are gonna help me professionally for the rest of my life. And that's why I think it's important, you know, as your article says, that that we get out of that mindset. Because I, you know, when I was in college back in the 80s, don't tell anybody, <laughs> but I just remember just that push about being, you know, you heard only from the folks that were in, you know, the AS president or the AS treasurer, whatever that piece. And even though I was active in a, you know, a club maybe or two, it wasn't really pushed. And I don't know if it's because of, I don't know what it was because of. I don't know if it's that whole piece that student affairs wasn't really the way to go, or we just weren't, we were just ignorant in the fact that not to talk to students in that way. And the only folks that really were getting it were the res, res ed people, the res life folks. Well, I think that you know, as I'm going back and actually rereading our foundational documents as part of my class prep, it has been really fun. But if you look at all of the thinking around student learning, those foundational documents in student affairs weren't written until the 1990s and 2000s, that it, there was a paradigm shift in our field where we started to... Um, own our responsibility and our power as educators, that we did not forget about student development, that development is a type of learning, but that we are educators first. And I think it changed the types of conversations that we had with students about not just what they are learning as a student in the classroom, and that, you know, that all of that is why you go to college. And we are here to support the educational mission. But part of us supporting the educational mission is making sure that they're using 24 hours a day for their education and their learning. And that we play a major part in where and how that learning happens, that we have to create the conditions in which students will learn. And it's and you're right. And I think maybe because I'm a first-generation college student, and maybe I just didn't know, but I, I was pretty in the mix, I thought. And, <laughs> and as I look back now, I just, I, I all I know is that I am trying my best to make sure students know about every opportunity that is possible. Again, like you said, you're going to get your academics. That's what you came for. But we're also trying to train you as a whole, you know, mind, body, and soul, the whole student, or as, as some of our, or most of our, you know, websites or strategic plans, you know, saying that, you know, to train up, you know, tomorrow's, you know, global leaders in that sense. But I don't know. It just seems like now, which is great. It's just, I think we're all just finally the light bulb has come on. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's one of the things as a VP, I think it's also incumbent on me and a, 
all of us in leadership roles in student affairs to set that tone. So at Miami, we talk a lot about that you know, we are predominantly undergraduate and we want students to have the best undergraduate experience in the nation. That is our mission statement. But we understand as a campus and are committed to, no matter what your role, that that experience is about both learning and growth as an individual and that we all share responsibility. So when I get our division together, that's what we talk about. We have full divisional meetings twice a year. And part of that, what I always design is conversations where people could talk across offices about big picture things. And one of the conversations that we had at a divisional meeting was about what are the skills that students are gaining through their interactions with us, through our programs, through our services, by going through a conduct process, by having a counseling appointment, by working with a tutor or being a tutor, what are the skills and how are we communicating those skills back to students so that they're reflecting on this? So if we are not as student affairs leaders instilling that as a value in our staff, then that isn't something that they're necessarily going to see as a priority. Absolutely. So what, when you mentioned that you talk about this at orientation for the parents, because of course, they're the ones that want to know, okay, I'm spending this fifty, sixty thousand $60,000. My child better be the top uh, IBM manager in, in, its, in his seventh week of working, you know, <laughs> what's your take on how the parents respond to the orientation when you, when you bring this up to them? They actually react really well because they do focus on, you know, we have uh, one parent that always says, I want them off the payroll. Yes, no doubt. We have to make sure that they are getting what they need to be gainfully employed as soon as they can. That is one measure of success. But when we start talking to them about all of these other measures of success, there isn't any parent on the planet that doesn't want their child to live a long, happy, engaged, productive life, that they want them to be able to go on and be successful and change and adapt. They want them to go on and be active in their community and be able to get in, you know, conti continue to contribute. So it's not necessarily where their minds go first, but when we point out all the other things that students will gain, every parent in the room says, yes, that is what I want for my child for their lifetime. And so they trust that as they transition to be students of ours, that we're going to help them get on that path. So as we are wrapping up, what would you say, um, what would you leave us with as far as one or two nuggets of information for our, you know, for our practitioners in student affairs to, you know, strengthen these, these co-curricular experiences? Or what would you say the one or two or three takeaways from your article that, that we need to do as student affairs professionals? I would say if you re remember, everything we do is about a student. And we want that student to grow, learn, and succeed. But we have to expand our definition of what success looks like. It's not just retention, it's not just graduation, and it's not just that first job. But it is these broader concepts of success. And if we keep that 
freshen our minds, then every interaction we have with students is an opportunity to be able to have those broader conversations. And it should be built into our planning. It should be built into our opportunities that we're giving students that the reflection piece is so important that we can't just let them do, 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 but we have to help them build that habit of reflection that we want them to carry on. That sums it up. I mean, you know, I always say to to folks, we are student affairs and we have to keep that in mind in everything that we do in, in every program, in every opportunity that we have to speak to a student and involve a student in these roles. So I really thank you very, very much. This is, was a very good article. I agree wholeheartedly with it. And I, I, I definitely would say that we have to make sure that, first of all, our parents see what we're doing, number one, like you said, and that we are doing what we say we're going to do. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. And if you felt that this was great, I would love for you to share with your colleagues there at Miami U. We are taking all different types of topics. And so each and every Thursday morning, we release another podcast. So yours should be coming, you know, soon. Just want to make sure that you, you know, spread the word. But thank you so much for joining today. And if you found value in what you heard, share the podcast with other student affairs practitioners. I look forward to having you join us next time as I share practical tips to aid you in your own student affairs journey. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.